Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. On this edition of Women Who Lead, you'll meet three women doing great things in the Metro Detroit area. Dr. Nishta Serene, Ascension Medical Group Interventional Cardiologist. She's written a new book about women's cardiac issues. Shirley Stancato, the chair of Wayne State University's Board of Governors and a prominent civic leader in Detroit. And you'll also get to know Dr. Elizabeth Swinor, a functional medicine physician making a difference in people's lives at Henry Ford Health System. An interesting and informative show coming up right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and our first guest on this February show is Dr. Nishta Serene. Dr. Serene is an interventional cardiologist with the Ascension Medical Group, and she's also the medical director of the Women's Heart Program for Ascension Michigan. Dr. Serene, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ann. February is the perfect time to have you on Women Who Lead, Dr. Serene, because it is Heart Health Month. And that is a subject that is very important to you. Now, you have a new book out. It's called Bia, She is the Force. I want you to start out and just tell us all about this book. First of all, what an honor to be here. And yes, February is the heart month, which is very close to my heart. Bia is a book um, which looks at the um, risks of heart disease in women and how we can treat them differently. Um, this is one of its first of its kind where physicians will learn how we should do a better job in looking at our female patients and treating them. Um, the word Bia originates from the Greek goddess of force and power who is under-recognized uh, in the uh, literature despite the fact that she was one of the most powerful ones, daughter of uh, Titans. So very similar to the story of all the women we see every day. Um, this is a biennial series. A book will come out every two uh, years. It is available online or on BIAYourself.com for purchase. And the book focuses, again, on heart health in women. Now, who would find this book most useful, Dr. Serene? It could be um, a physician. It could be a physician in training, or it could be a, even a community member who's very curious to learn in a little bit more detail about the risk factors of women. The chapters range from COVID as heart health in women to peripheral arterial disease in women to dietary changes to exercise planning. So it's a wide amount of topics, um, and it is based upon the interest and the amount of knowledge that is there at baseline. So I know that you started working on this book because you have a passion for letting the public know, informing the public that women present differently with regard to heart disease. Talk a little bit about this issue. Um, sure, Anne. So women present very differently compared to men. Um, I'm an interventional cardiologist, so we see a lot of uh, women and men with heart attacks. Surprisingly, since 1984, more women have had heart, heart disease compared to men. And if a woman has a heart attack, she's more likely to die in the next 30 days compared to men. Uh, the symptoms are very different. It could not be the typical chest pain, chest pressure, going to the jaw, going to the back, uh, which we call the Hollywood heart attack. In fact, women could just have dizziness, lightheadedness, palpitations, or just shortness of breath. And being able to recognize them correctly 
and treat them correctly continues to be a challenge. And that's where this effort of educating our physician community comes into play. Um, the other important thing is that women have risk factors that are different compared to men unique to them. For instance, not just diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol is important for women. If they have had a menopause before the age of 40, or they have had three or more children, or they have had eclampsia, preeclampsia during their pregnancy, it increases the risk of heart disease by almost 20-25%. What are your recommendations for women? When should they start thinking about their heart and having it checked during regular physical examinations, Dr. Serene? Uh, thank you, Anne. That's a great question. By our guidelines, age of 45 years is when it is recommended that everybody should have um, a checkup done. But uh, what we see is that if you have risk factors, if you have a family history of heart disease, if you have any symptoms, whether they are shortness of breath, dizziness, lightheadedness, chest pain, um, you know, just not feeling right or fatigued, uh, there is no age range. Even if you're 20 years old, you should be evaluated. Um, and if you have any of the um, outliers in your routine checkup, for instance, if your weight is more than, um, you know, if your BMI, if you calculate your weight above your height in meters square, if your BMI ends up being more than uh, 25 or 24.99, that again is an indication to get checked. There is never a wrong idea. It's never a bad idea to have an evaluation done. As the director of the Women's Heart Program for Ascension Michigan, you are the force behind women's clinics, new women's clinics. Can you explain to our listeners what these clinics are all about and why they are so important? Because they do deal with this issue of women and heart disease. That is true, Anne, and it's very close to my heart. And what's unique about the women, women clinics um, under Ascension is that we are close to their doorstep. When we launched the program, one of the issues that is important for women is because they are trying to do so much. They have families to take care of and they have jobs and their commitments and they put their health towards the end. I mean, everybody's health comes before theirs. So one of the issues we realized was that women will not travel hours to get tested. And hence, we have clinics at their doorstep um, at each location. There's one at St. John in Ascension, there's one in Borges, there's one in Saginaw, and then there's one in Providence Park. The idea is that Heart health for women should not have to be a luxury. It's a necessity. It should be available at their doorstep. Uh, we look under this program at the gaps, what are the issues, and we address them specifically. For instance, uh, women wouldn't exercise. They don't have the time to go to the gym. So all our women patients, they have online access to community health uh, exercise classes. They can do chair yoga during lunch hour, for half an hour and burn 200, 300 calories. So we try to accommodate to their schedule to make that difference. You know, Dr. Serene, I would think that for many women, it would be comforting to know that they could go to a clinic that is all about women and they could have women treating their condition and surrounding them with what they need. I think it might convince more women to go and get checked and get help. I hope that's what happens, Anne, um, because I, there is definitely a sense of more comfort, um, and it is about women finding other women there as well. For instance, we have support groups. There are conditions that women deal with which do not have a direct answer in our medical literature, and they get um, sent from physician to physician thinking it's a psychological issue or a mental issue. So we have support groups for specific heart conditions. 
dysfunction, for instance, microvascular dysfunction, or for PAS, partial orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, where these women get together in groups and talk to each other. So they garner support not only from the physician team and our healthcare team, but also from each other at these clinics. I love that you dedicated the book, Bia, She is the Force, to your mom. Talk a little bit about the influence your mom has had on your career and your life, Dr. Serene. Well, my mom uh, surely is a Bia. She is a Force, and the influence she has is that um, every time I have a challenge in front of me, I always stop and think what mom would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, she um, she is a principal. She was the she was the headmaster at um, one of the uh, schools. I never studied at her school, but she was all about discipline and time management. She used to wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we would have our dance lessons in the morning and then get ready for school. Um, but, yeah, she instilled all the discipline and time management, and I owe everything to her. So truly want to dedicate this book to her. And, you know, with regard to the book, I think the book is a great book for anybody who is either dealing with heart disease, treating heart disease, but I also bought it for all of my daughters and my daughter-in-law because it creates awareness for them. Even if they don't have a problem right now, it gives them the idea if they do start feeling poorly and the doctors can't figure out what's wrong, that they should think about this. And that's a phenomenal point. That's a great point. And you know, when people have, uh, anybody in the community has a health issue, we Google and start reading about right. it, but that's not credible. That's not credible information. Most of the time it misleads you. Yes. And this book could lead as one of the resources, which is evidence-based. It's put together by 25 physicians together. <laughs> this is all uh, credible data that is out there. And a lot of times women have to advocate themselves for their health, and this is a great resource for anybody to read and advocate for their health. Well, and you, Dr. Serene, have so many stories about women who went to their regular physician and they were never able to figure out what was going on with them. They were told that they had anxiety or depression or were making up the symptoms, when in reality, they had a heart problem. That is true, Anne, and we have had, um, you know, this is a condition called partial orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that typically starts at the age of 20 years of age, I mean, typically 14, but these are young girls who, um, it takes up to 10 years to diagnose them if they are diagnosed. It takes up to seven ER visits. It takes up to three to four cardiologists, not even primary, I'm talking about cardiologists, before these women get diagnosed. And um, one of my patients was not working for 19 years because of her symptoms until we diagnosed and never treated her because she was put on mental health medications, which actually never worked. She ended up on a, in a mental hospital because nobody could understand her symptoms. A lot of times it has to do with women-specific risk stratification, listening to them and going over conditions that affect women disproportionately. Dr. Nishta Serene, thank you so much for your time today and congratulations on this wonderful book, Bia, She is the Force. Thank you, Anne. It's my honor and privilege. Dr. Serene is an interventional cardiologist with the Ascension Medical Group. She's also the medical director of the Women's Heart Program for Ascension, Michigan. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after these messages. You are listening to Women Who Lead. Shirley Stancato is the chair of Wayne State University's Board of Governors. 
She's a prominent civic leader, a race relations expert, and a social justice advocate. For almost 20 years, Shirley was president and chief executive officer of New Detroit, Inc., the Detroit region's leadership coalition devoted solely to race relations. And Shirley is one of our 2024 Women Who Lead honorees. Shirley, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for um, inviting me in and and thank you for the honor. Appreciate it so much. So Shirley, talk a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners about your background, where you grew up and some of the things that were important to you as you grew up. Well, I am a, a native Detroiter. There's an organization called Born and Raised Detroit, and I'm born and raised Detroit. I went to school here, graduated from Cass Technical High School, got my undergraduate and graduate degrees from Wayne State University. Um, And so West Side, you know, in in southeast Michigan, particularly in the Detroit area, they want to know, are you east side or west side? I grew up on the west side. (laughs) And even though though I live kind of east, just east of downtown, um, I'm still a west sider just in terms of my habits and where I go to shop, et cetera, so can't help it. And um, having having gone to school here, and and as I mentioned, the undergraduate and graduate at Wayne State University, um, and my family. My family really, really um, is important. I guess it's important to everybody, but for us, my parents uh, uh, made the migration from the south to the north, and uh, my two older brothers were born in Louisiana. I was the first of their children born in Detroit. There's six of us, three and three, three boys, three girls. And so I grew up in Detroit. Um, uh, my dad and my parents really were very active in our church, so I was a you know Sunday school kid and learned many of those things in Sunday school, but also uh, understood from the um, the foundation that my parents gave us that it is important to to give back and it's important to show up. And when you show up, you bring yourself, whomever you are. And, you know, and I talk all the time about, um, you guys about my bio and people do hear the bio and they go, oh, there's a bio. But they really then, once they've heard the bio or the resume, whatever you want to call it, what they know is what you do, not who you are. And so I, I, thank you for I was sharing a part of who I am, that I'm, I'm one of six kids, and I'm the uh, two older brothers. My sister calls me the first daughter. I'm the first girl in that role in the family. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And I am the first daughter. And um, uh, grew up with uh, two parents. My dad was a construction worker. My mom did not work outside the home but worked inside the home very hard. And so had a really, really rich childhood. And what I say is because there were six kids and my dad was a construction worker and didn't work in the wintertime, I always tell people we weren't poor. We just didn't have any money because <laughs> being broke is a temporary situation and being poor is a state of mind. And so my parents helped us see, if you will, what was possible for us. I am the first in my family to attend college, not the first to graduate high school, but the first to attend college. And that's very important to uh, my family. And um, others have come after me. My younger brothers and sisters have come after me, but it was very, very big. It was really a big deal in the family and really continues to be. And I understand the difference that education can make for you because I'm a living example of it. So that's just a short, you know, of who are you and what do you do kind of thing. Short, a Shirley Stankhouse is still a native Detroiter and um, understand things. I told folks, uh, I tell folks all the time, man, that Detroit's a place where people always ask, what high school did you go to? So that's what we always talk about high schools. Other places don't necessarily do that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, it's very true. You have seen a lot in your time as a Detroiter and the changes mm-hmm. that have occurred and the resurgence in the city. Talk a little bit about what that means to you, Shirley Stancato, and your family. 
So I probably have a different, I don't know, different, but a different perspective on um, change because um, changes have been really occurring for an, a long time. And I think when people talk about change, they are looking at a base point and maybe at 67 when, you know, um, um, the whatever people call either the riot or the uh, um, social justice action, whatever you want to call sure. it, uh, in 67, so, so moving. And one of the things I talk about all the time is that really there has been a lot of good happening um, for me whenever I drive up Michigan Avenue and look at the old train station. I just beam because mm. I remember how it sat there. So those are the kinds of things that I look at and uh, the economic development and um, a lot of folks who are now entrepreneurs who were not able to do so in the past. But what I really like to point people to is that there is um, people talk a lot about Detroit's coming back. And I actually have a T-shirt that says Detroit never left. Uh. And uh, my husband actually bought it for me because there are so many of us, right, who continue to stay here and do the work. And oftentimes it gets overlooked that um, there's a lot that changed. And, yeah, there's a lot of good that's going on, but there are a lot of people who stayed. If you think about the fact, how far would we have to go had not there been folks here uh, doing this work um, around uh, social justice, about around entrepreneurship, around economic development, around, you know, education, all of those things. So there's still people, and I just want to make sure that, that those folks, not just me, but there are a lot of individuals who made the decision to stay and to work hard, and so we would have had further to go. So I think, I think things are going really in a great direction, but I also want to say that there are a lot of people who um, – who is still here, Detroit, never left. You are the co-chair of the Michigan Growth Council. Talk a little bit about that position and what role you play and what are some thoughts, Shirley Stancato, about how you can bring people back to Detroit or to the state of Michigan who may not appreciate it like you and I do. Right. So so the Growing Michigan Together Council was actually a six-month-long council um, that the governor um, uh, decreed in June of uh, 2023. And um, her um, really, she understood that it was important for there to be uh, folks from both sides uh, of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. Right. And so she asked uh, for um, John Ricolta, who is a Republican, and then she asked me, I'm a Democrat, to co-chair this council. And there were people who were like, oh, my God, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And what I said to them was, John Ricolta was my board chair in New Detroit for um, eight years. Um, I was at New Detroit almost 20. And we developed a really great relationship there uh, working around racial and social justice. So for us, and we're friends. And so for us, it really was, it really worked well. And both of us agreed that we could really work together. And so we started um, down the track last June. Uh, we presented to the governor on December the 14th recommendations. I and mean, we had work groups. We had almost 100 people from around the state. And it's growing. It's a Michigan council, so from the Upper Peninsula and Southeast Michigan and West and East, working in work groups. And the governor gave us um, four things. So it was education, uh, uh, K-12 education, and higher ed. And then um, infrastructure, and then jobs, talent, and people. So there were four work groups looking at what do we need to do in Michigan, right, to move forward. And what she said was, the governor said, I want this to be data-driven and evidence-based. Mm. And I will tell you, the, the, her instructions couldn't have been clearer. 
And so the recommendations were put, uh, we gave to the governor in December. And much of what she's doing right now in her budget is focused on those recommendations. So let me just say this. One of the things that really, really startled us is this. Michigan now, at a point in 30, 40 years ago, when you looked at Michigan, the top, if you looked at the top states in the country for income, Michigan was always in the top five. Today, we, not one city in Michigan is in the top 10. Wow. We are 39th, okay, in income, right? Um, in um, just in education, the state of Michigan, now the entire state, we are, um, I can't remember the specific percentages, but very, very low in terms of fourth grade meeting, reading and math. Mm. At one point in um, some of the presentations that came before the council when the work groups were doing their presentations, um, a gentleman who is one of the co-chairs of the Jobs Talent People Workforce, Batanta, he is the head of uh, an organization in the Upper Peninsula, Invest UP. He said, you know, I want to tell you, when he came to the podium to begin his presentations to us, he said, I want to tell you that this is really, really important to me. Because, he said, in the last 25 years, the Upper Peninsula has lost 48% of its K-12 through kids. Mm, that's amazing. So, so there's so much data around that where people have left in terms of the, 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 the higher ed. They, they, they leave the state in droves. They get out of college and they go. And, and, and when we did, uh, Hillary Doe, who is the uh, chief uh, growth counsel for the state of Michigan, she did a lot of um, town halls and talking to people yes. across the state and learned things like, you know, young people want rapid transit. And, you know, Ann, we've been trying to get that for a long time, right? <laughs> they want yes. walkable neighborhoods. Um, at one point, uh, one of the work group chairs said to me, you know, that she said the young people, they want to graduate from college. They want to live um, um, in, a, in a nice apartment. They want to press the elevator button, go downstairs to work, and then they want to take four steps and go to a happy hour. That's, right. <laughs> That's what they want. And so when we look at Michigan, Michigan hasn't provided that for folks. So we are, we are 39th in income. We are, um, I think, 40, we are 49th in growth <clears throat> in the last 30 years. We have 49 out of 50 states. And so for us, we were just like, oh, my God, we were taken aback because we did not have that information. Mm. And I will tell you, the council worked really hard to um, um, make recommendations. And it's amazing. Republicans, Democrats, Upper Peninsula, you know, black, white, Latino. It was really, really, really amazing. At the end of the day, the recommendations were voted on 20, yes, and one no. Wow. And the one person who said no never attended any, any work groups. So when we had university presidents and heads of nonprofits and corporate trips, really. And so, and as you know, John Ricolta is an ambassador. He's ambassador right. Ricolta. So this is the kind of work. It was hard, but it really, really, really makes sense. There's a, there's a website, Growing Michigan Together Council, with the recommendations. And all of us, each of us, can have an opportunity to make a difference. But when you look at the data, it really is shocking. We have a wonderful state. John and I did an interview with one of the TV stations, and they said, you know, we got great weather, we got the great lakes, you think people love it. I said, yeah, we do, but the young people don't. And so what we need to do is begin to listen to the young people, listen to the young people. Um, one other piece I want to just talk about is, is age. So from uh, age, from uh, in the last 25, 30 years, uh, kids 19 and under 
age 19 and under grew in, in the state of Michigan, grew 18%. Mm. 19 to 34 grew 22%. Over 65 grew 98%. Wow. Yeah. So young people are leaving, right? Yes. And those of us who are older are staying. And so we've got to do is, 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 that we, you know, we have a, a voice, but we need to listen to the young people so that, from my perspective, so that our grandchildren will stay here and really be able to to enjoy this really amazing place that, that we call home. Shirley Stancato, if you were on an airplane and you were sitting next to a young person who perhaps grew up here in Detroit or the Detroit area, went to mm-hmm. school here, but yet moved away, what would you say to them? to get them to come back here to Michigan? Well, uh, first of all, I would, you know, point out the things that you and I have talked about, right. about, you know, the the, 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 the weather. I talk sure. a lot about the young people, about water. We have water here, and the water is becoming a crisis across, across the United States. But what I say here is this, and what people have told me is that, Michigan, people who, who, who move here, Michigan is a place that really has open arms. When you come to Michigan, you can find a place to contribute, right? You, there's no hierarchy where you have to do one, two, three, four steps as you do in other states. There's always room for you, room at the table for you, where you can really, really um, reach your goals and meet your goals. People here are friendly, open. You hear that all the time. That's a part of it. And, 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 and again, the, the, the Great Lakes, and, and, again, you can find your place here to be able to make this a better place for you and your kids. And people come back, and when they come back and they've traveled around, they see that there is um, a difference. The other thing is you can also be one of the persons who help to make the changes. Um, you know the changes that you've seen in other places. If you've left and you want to come back, help us be a voice for those of us who are here and for those of us who are particularly as a young person, your age group, let us know what, what needs to happen and then help us help us make that happen. I'm really excited that the governor in her, in her budget, you know, uh, uh, community college is now going to be paid for. That's really, really important because um, the knowledge economy is what this is all about, and our college grads are leaving the state in droves. So that's another piece. Uh, uh, pieces of your of your higher education can be paid for based upon what's happening now at at, at the governor's um, level. The three three top universities, um, uh, our one universities, Wayne State, Michigan State University of Michigan, in this state, and other universities. So there's a lot of wonderful, also development that's coming that's coming uh, around. Lots of new restaurants, uh, lots of new businesses. But again, we know that we need the help, and there's a place for you here that perhaps you won't find um, in any other place. Shirley Stancato, you're an amazing person. Thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Coming up next on Women Who Lead, you'll meet a functional medicine doctor doing some interesting and impressive work at Henry Ford Health System. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here now with Dr. Elizabeth Swinor. She is a functional medicine physician at Henry Ford Health System, and she is one of our 2024 Women Who Lead honorees. Welcome to the show, Dr. Swinor, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Ann. It's lovely to be here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So talk a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this career? Well, I'll give you try to give you the short version because I had a little bit of a, a non-natural course uh, into my career. So I started out actually teaching oh. um, elementary school, 
and and then got my master's degree in administration and was going to go be a principal. My father had been a principal for 40 years, and that's what I wanted to do and got into that. And after several years of teaching, figured out, no, that's not what I want to do. And left that profession, went back to school, and then studied for the MCATs and decided I wanted to go into medicine. And sold my house and went back and jumped in, and off I went and finished medical school. And then my residency, I finished in Pittsburgh and from Michigan, uh, but went to Pittsburgh and um, then did my residency for four years and in family medicine, and then came back to northern Michigan and opened up my own practice after a short um, uh, stint of working at Sheboygan Hospital, which is no longer there. It's now owned by McLaren. And I started out way out in the a rural area of Pelston, running a clinic all by myself. Uh, after right out of residency, worked there for three or four years, then opened my own practice in Petoskey, Michigan. And that was a, a wonderful, wonderful practice. It was very family-oriented. Uh, we had several different uh, businesses running out of that practice. We had weight loss management, aesthetics medicine, the dermatology practice, uh, women's um, health, and then uh, family medicine. And we built that practice up, and I was there for eight or nine years. And then I met my lovely husband on a blind date in northern Michigan and ended up downstate. <laughs> at Henry Ford, and I started at Henry Ford the Lifestyle Integrative and Functional Medicine Department. I'm now the medical director of that department. It's a very robust, uh, wonderful department where we're offering all sorts of wonderful services to patients um, that want to prevent disease and also patients that want to reverse disease and also cancer patients and chronically ill patients. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, we have uh, a very big practice. We have several chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists, lifestyle medicine specialists, and functional medicine specialists. So, Dr. Swinor, this form of medicine, lifestyle and functional medicine, integrative medicine, is extremely popular these days. Explain to our listeners why that is, why so many people are gravitating to this kind of medicine. Well, functional medicine has actually been around since the 1990s. Um, but it hasn't really taken hold until the last, I would say, five, six years or so. Right. Uh, it's really escalated in patient interest. And I think that patients are seeking overall, how can they prevent a disease from ever occurring? And how can they do that without having to take um, prescriptive medications? And lifestyle is so important. Lifestyle medicine encompasses uh, sleep management, stress management, abstinence from risky substances, uh, socialization, healthy socialization, and most importantly, diet and eating predominantly uh, plant-based foods, whole plant-based foods, avoiding you know, processed foods, and really working, we really work pa with patients heavily on um, developing a very personal, customized treatment plan for them that they can help to modify their diets and use their lifestyle uh, to prevent disease or reduce the burden of chronic disease. And functional medicine is a much, much deeper dive. And this is for patients that do have chronic illnesses and are really looking for the origin 
um, of their disease process and what can we do to help to reverse that. And this is of great interest to patients because we really try not to use prescriptions. Sometimes we do and sometimes we have to in order to uh, prevent disease progression. Uh, but patients are very interested in what can they do to be empowered to prevent disease on their own. Integrative medicine is a, a wonderful um, opportunity for patients to use modalities um, other than prescriptions for pain management, uh, as well as uh, relaxation, stress management, uh, sleep management, et cetera. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times when people have to take medicine all the time, prescription medicine, what ends up happening is they have all these side effects and then they have to take more medicine to get rid of the side effects from the original medicine. And this is why I think that this has become so popular is that people are starting to understand there has got to be and there is a better way. Yeah, we really try to de-prescribe and reduce polypharmacy as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And food is medicine. You know, 80% of chronic disease actually comes from our diets. Right. 40% of cancer comes from diets and what it is that we're, and our lifestyle and poor lifestyle choices. So you can really optimize extrapolating the nutrition out of foods, the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants, to help reduce systemic, or which means full body inflammation, and hopefully, you know, reduce the burden of diseases. You know, we had great success with reducing um, diabetes, or and re- even reversing diabetes to non-diabetic uh, reference ranges on lab values. Um, so it's it's very exciting um, to be able to help patients and not prescribe medications. Although I do want to qualify that, there are times when patients do need medications. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it can't be that easy for some people to make the necessary lifestyle changes. What kind of advice do you have for them with regard to, you know, maybe just taking a few baby steps to feel better and not have to resort to prescription medicine for an entire lifetime? Oh, I love what you said there, Baby Steps. There's a great book called Atomic Habits by James Clear that talks about that, how small changes can result in big, big changes mm-hmm. um, and positive changes. I don't know if you've read that book, but I strongly recommend um, everyone reading that book, how just little things that you can do, like when you get up in the morning, instead of having a donut, you could have an apple and peanut butter or something like that, which is much healthier than you know than a donut. And that little, little bitty change has enormous impact on your day as far as um, systemic inflammation. It decreases your blood pressure. It helps, excuse me, decreases your blood sugars and helps with, you know, uh, digestive health and bowel movements, uh, which is a whole lot of our practice. Just a sidebar, Ann, we have um, a great emphasis on the gut microbiome, and I'd love to chat with you about that sometime, how the microbiome is 99% genetically um, who we are as humans, and only 1% of our genetic information is actually human. And so this microbiome that lives mostly in our large intestine has incredible impact on our general well-being and daily, daily well-being, as well as sleep patterns and stress patterns. You hear a lot about that now, how there is a direct connection between gut health and a lot of different diseases. Oh, absolutely. Um, autoimmune diseases, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, uh, diabetes, 
Um, all, they, these all have a link to the health and um, or unhealthy uh, microbiome. And these bacteria that reside largely in our intestine, large intestine um, prefer to eat fiber, mm-hmm. which is uh, mostly found, well, is found in plants. So, Dr. Swinor, what type of advice do you have for young women and men that might be interested in this field? What's the best way for them to get started? Because this field is becoming more popular by the day. I certainly suggest seeking out a lifestyle medicine uh, specialist uh, if you want medically guided lifestyle medicine modification. And then from there, um, you could you can be referred to a functional medicine or seek out a functional medicine practitioner uh, to help guide you with your wellness goals. Uh, but if you didn't want to go that route, there are plenty of uh, books out there. A great website to get started for lifestyle modification is the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And the um, website for functional medicine is the Institute of Functional Medicine. Uh, both of those websites have quite a bit of information on um, lifestyle and how to stay healthy. Uh, two other websites would be PCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM.org. Wonderful website. Uh, there's a 20, 21-day jumpstart on there for how to modify your diet. There's grocery lists. There's recipes. There's a lot of information there. Another website, Forks Over Knives. And then there's also our local plant-based nutrition support group, PBNSG.org. Dr. Elizabeth Swinor, congratulations on being one of our 2024 Women Who Lead honorees, and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be a guest on your show, and I hope everyone seeks out uh, lifestyle medicine (laughs) and medicine. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm Ann Thomas. Thank you for listening to Women Who Lead, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. 